New Testament reading this evening comes from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 6, reading from verses 1 to 18. Matthew 6, verses 1 to 18. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with well, Tim trumpets, comes to speak to us, which is going to sing Master Speak, in their Christ synagogues number and on 386. The to be honoured so by men. Together. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. They have received their reward in full. Tell me. But when you fast, put oil on your head and me, wash you your face, as so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, no. but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Person is someone who visibly follows 
all the moral and ethical codes of religion. That's what makes someone pious. But is that word visibly that's the catch? If you see me doing it, there's always that suspicion that actually it's just for show. And pious is a kind of double-edged word. It's about someone who, who follows all the ethical and moral demands of religion and is devoted to God, but they do so visibly. And it has this kind of double-edged word that means you might be pious in a good sense in terms of being devoted to God, but equally there's the suspicion that if people see you doing it and they know that you do it, you're really just a bit of a hypocrite. And it's a surface thing. So to, to be known as pious is a highly ambiguous uh, status to have. And so whatever you might think of me, I hope, and I'm glad you don't, Ian, I hope you will never think of me as being pious. Jesus, he's the one that's to blame. He's the one that took a good word and rubbished it. Because he's the one that said, if you're going to be religious by giving money away, or praying, or fasting, the only way to do it is to do it in secret. Because the only person who needs to know how you're practicing your religion is your Father in heaven, who sees what you do in secret. If other people know about it, if other people get to hear about it, if other people recognize that you're pious then their approval and their acclamation, and they say, oh, that's Tim Carter, he's a good bloke, he says his prayers, that's all you're going to get. It doesn't count if it's public. That's why being known as pious could be such a damning verdict. You wouldn't, you wouldn't describe yourself as being pious. You wouldn't say, oh, I'm a very pious person, you know. It just doesn't, it's not English to do that kind of thing. And if other people say, oh, he's a very pious person, that means they must have seen you being pious, which means your religious devotion hasn't been a private one-to-one -one with God. You've gone on Facebook or something and said, oh, gave so much to charity this week, fasting and praying every other day. Like that? The problem is if it's public, suspicion is it's not genuine. Genuine piety is done in a place that nobody sees what's going on apart from God. That goes for giving. Some of our common everyday phrases come from Jesus. Blowing your own trumpet, we say. That's a phrase we use to people who big up their own achievements. And I'm fairly sure that comes from Jesus' comment, that some people, when they give alms, made a big show of trumpeting it in the streets. Now, there may have been a good reason for that. The poor people may have been alerted by a trumpet blast. Hey, money's being given away over there. Get to it and get some. There's no record, actually, of people in Jesus' day going out in the streets and blowing a trumpet before they gave money away. Many people think this is just a, a phrase that Jesus coined to conjure up in the way which people gave money away in a fairly ostentatious way. So everybody knew that they were generous. If so-and-so went out in the street, then you could be sure they might have some money to give to the poor. It was worth begging extra loud as they walked past because they might be the kind of person who would give some. These days, people found charities in their own name, don't they? So it is the so-and-so's charity for such and such a cause. And everybody knows that they're the person that funded it. And, and the cause might be genuine and worthwhile and really, really good, and they might have given pots of money to it, but Jesus is actually far better to do all that anonymously. 
so that nobody knows that you've done it, so you're not blowing your own trumpet. From Jesus too, we get the phrase, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing, or maybe it's the other way around, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Churches are good at that. Nobody knows what anybody else is doing in a church. But that's not what Jesus meant. He's using hyperbole here. When it comes to giving, privacy is so important, your left hand mustn't know how much money you fish out your pocket to put in the offering bag. And whatever you give to church, whether it's in the offering bag or by standing order, whatever you give to charity, that is a matter between you and your God. He's the one that you honour, hopefully you honour, he's the one that you honour by the amount you give. He's the only one who needs to know how much that is. We don't, like a friend of mine in the States, they have special coloured offering bags for people who tithe. Everybody knows that this person is giving a tenth of their... We don't do that here. And I think Jesus is happier with the kind of privacy that we have. This was New York. You might not do it where you come from. I don't know. Fasting. Again, that's another matter between you and God. If you do it at all, You see, I don't know. I look out on you all and I have no idea how many of you fast. Perhaps you all do. And I don't know, in which case that is a tremendous blessing to me. Or maybe I assume that because I don't know that anybody's doing it, nobody's doing it. What should I decide? Many people these days advocate a degree of fasting as a healthy option in these days of overindulgence. And Lent, if you want to take up the practice of 40 days, start on the 5th of March. Lent has traditionally been a time for a degree of self-denial in the period running up to Easter, be it chocolate or alcohol or whatever. But fasting, that's a way of identifying with the millions of people in the world who go to bed hungry every single night. Just reminding yourself, actually, yeah, I have plenty to eat, but I'm going to go without a bit, just to remind myself of all the people in the world who don't, and identify with them in some way, shape, or form. Those who practice it say it's a brilliant way of maintaining a degree of self-discipline over our appetite. We are actually healthier if, if we kind of practice a bit of abstinence from time to time. It's frequently associated with prayer using the time that you would otherwise spend eating to seeking God about something that really matters to you. It's not just a Christian practice. When I worked for the Prudential many, many years ago, I worked with an Asian lady and said to her, how come some days you only ever drink water? Sometimes you go, can I get you a drink? Coffee usually, some days it's only water. She said, well, Friday, she said, "I, I fast for my husband. So Fridays I don't, you know, have anything but water, just as a way of of hoping that he'll be okay. She didn't say she prayed for him, but I guess that she did. For her, that was part of her dedication to her marriage, to follow her religion that kind of way. But it makes you think, are there things, are there people that matter to you enough to fast about them as you pray for them? Nobody else needs to know about it. Jesus says you should be as bright and as positive and as cheerful as you would be after a full English breakfast or a three-course dinner. It is between you and God. So I don't expect a queue of people after the evening service to come up to me and say, I fast three times a week or whatever. It's a good thing to do. It's a very good thing to do in private. To set aside that time, to, to give up a little bit, to identify with others, or to focus upon people or issues 
as you pray to God. And then, of course, there is prayer. Definitely something to be done in private rather than on the street corner in full view of everyone else. Because these days, if you pray in public on the street corner, people think there's something wrong with you. But in those days, yeah, religion was in. It was a good thing to be seen praying. The New International Version is a bit colourless here when it talks about just going into your room to pray. The Revised English Bible is better when it talks about going into your room by yourself. But the word actually carries the connotations about being an inner chamber. Kind of somewhere kind of quite secluded and private and away from everybody else. The Authorised Version talks about going into your closets, which is good. Feels a bit like a cupboard. Or those of us who are used to the abbreviation WC, it feels a bit like going into the loo. But that's the kind of privacy that it's talking about. You go in and you shut the door because you don't want anybody else there while that's happening. You might pray on the loo, I don't know. We don't need to know about that either. But it is that kind of privacy. It is that kind of seclusion. I'm going away and this is just me and God and nobody else intrudes on this time. Daisy Ashford, when she was nine years old, wrote a a little short story called The Young Visitors. And in it, there's this sentence, Bernard always had a few prayers in the hall and some whiskey afterwards, as he was rather pious. But Mr. Saltina wasn't very addicted to prayers, so he marched up to bed. It's a fascinating little sentence that says so much about people's perception of being pious. Being pious should be about the dutiful observance of saying your prayers. But Mr. Saltina doesn't pray. He sees that as a bit of an addiction, so he doesn't bother. He just goes straight up to his bedroom. And that is where Bernard should be praying. But Bernard is pious in the public sense of the word. So he prays in the hall, where everybody knows that's what he's doing, because you can't go anywhere in the house without passing through the hall. And then his piety is a bit suspect, because he backed up his prayers with a glass of whiskey afterwards. So much of what Jesus is getting about, about good and bad piety, is summed up in that cameo of Bernard praying in the hall where everyone can see him, and Mr. Saltina instead going up to his bed in private. So Jesus would have us all pray in private, because fundamentally prayer has to be about what we say to God one-to-one, not what other people hear us saying to God. We all do well if we get some kind of affirmation or feedback from other people. That's why so many of us find it easier to be chameleon Christians. We just blend into the crowd. So when we're here, we kind of fit into the Christian thing. When we're somewhere else, we behave and talk like other people that we're with all the time. It's just a way of securing a sense of identity and approval for who we are. Prayer is about realising that God should be our significant other. He's the one whose approval we seek. He's the one in whose presence we consciously live our lives on a day-to-day basis. And Jesus focuses on prayer because prayer is about actually being conscious. Lord, whoever else I'm with, you are with me. Help me then to honour you and live for you, and find your approval, and say and do the things that you want me to say and do, and not just follow the crowd so I blend in with everybody else. We can't live that kind of way without relying on God in prayer. His is the approval that we seek, and time spent in prayer with him enables him to recognise his closeness to us. Praying to God 
it's a pretty indispensable part of living for God, I reckon. You matter to God. And because you matter to God, what matters to you matters to Him. And prayer is a way of expressing that. God matters to you. Acknowledging God's presence and seeking His grace to live for Him is part of making that real as well. I always feel a bit challenged by Jesus saying that prayer shouldn't be a matter of babbling on. I'm sure I'm not the only one here who recognises that tendency in my prayer life from time to time. To reel off the shopping list. Or to find myself saying the same things again because I know I've said them but I didn't really put my heart and mind into it. The words just kind of filtered through my mind while I was half thinking about something else. And so we kind of pray over and over and over until we think, actually, I meant it that time and I can let it go. Prayer is real communication. The whole of prayer is grounded in the recognition that our Father in heaven knows what we need before we ask him. So why asking them? Partly it is so that by spending time with him and communicating with him, we can have the confidence to trust him for our needs to move forward in the confidence that he is in charge. And as we spend time in his presence, our priorities become aligned more with his priorities for our lives. So Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. Not so that it was a form of words that we could rattle off by rotes and know that we've ticked that particular box in our religious observance for that day. I always feel that by the start of the second century, the church was losing the plot of it when they said... Uh, you should pray this. You don't pray like the hypocrites are fasting on these days of the week. We fast on these other days of the week instead of them. And this is the prayer you should say three times a day and the Lord's Prayer is there pretty much as we know. That's not what prayer is about. It wasn't given as a form of words that we should learn and then recite. Remember my sister. I was in church when I was quite a small boy. Sitting next to my sister, I said to her, I know the Lord's Prayer off by heart. And I thought she'd be pleased with me. And she wasn't. It's not necessarily a good thing, she said. I said, Why? If you know off by heart, she said, you can say it without meaning it. She's absolutely right, of course. You can just run through the words without meaning a single phrase of it. But Jesus never intended it to be a prayer that we said by word. If you look at Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, the same structure of the prayer is basically there. The language varies a bit, and one prayer is slightly fuller than the other. But clearly, either Jesus used different versions of the prayer at different times, or people kind of used the structure and adapted it in different directions. It was intended to be a framework. It was intended to be a basis that we could use as a way of kick-starting our prayer life. It's a guide to prayer that focuses on God as our Father, first of all, His holiness, His priorities in the world. Then there's space for our own daily needs, forgiveness for the past, grace to forgive those who upset us, strength to make the right decisions for the future, and a request for God to keep us safe. It's actually... Pretty comprehensive as prayers go. It takes about 30 seconds to say. But if you take it as a framework for your own prayers, just allow the Spirit of God to use those words, those phrases, to open up a conversation between you and God as your Heavenly Father. His priorities, your needs, your relationships your future, then that prayer can be a means of enabling us to be genuinely pious with the right kind of piety. A deeply held faith and trust in God, expressed in how you dedicate each day to him and ask for grace to live faithfully for him. God 
is the one who sees whatever it is we do in private. And whatever it is you do in private, I hope prayer at least is part of that. I'm not sure whether God particularly approves of the adjective pious. But as a father who loves us more than we can ever know or comprehend, he's always thrilled when we live quietly, unobtrusively, but wholeheartedly for him. And that's what being pious in a good sense is really all about. Let's pray. Lord, you see what we do in secret. May what we do in secret in your presence resource us for doing the right thing when we are in public with other people. Lord, you know what we do in the privacy of our own rooms and our own homes. Build into our lives a desire to be with you and to consciously spend time with you. Lord, we mean the world to you. You gave your son so that we could, we could know you and spend eternity with you. Lord, just reveal to us how much we mean to you. So that in response, we, we might catch a glimpse of how much you might mean to us. Lord, in the quiet spaces of our lives, may we be conscious of your presence. Conscious of your love. Conscious of your claim on who we are. We don't find prayer easy. That's why you taught your disciples how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to communicate with you. So that in the privacy of our lives, we might be people who are pious. Who live for you in a way that nobody else knows about because it's genuine and it comes from the heart. In Jesus' name. Amen.